Well, morning, everyone. Today we're carrying on talking about prayer, which I think is such a relevant topic for us at the moment, particularly as we as a church are scattered and are not able to gather together every Sunday in the way that we're so used to. And I just want to encourage you at this time, you know, as we're not able to attend church together, that we're still called to be the church apart, to, to serve God, to point people to Jesus. And one of the things I feel so encouraged by is the fact that probably each of us have got eight to 15 people around us who could be friends or family or co-workers or neighbors or even just acquaintances that you can shepherd and care for where you can be the hands and feet of Jesus where you can pray for those people you know they might not want your help but they can't say no to our prayers we can be praying for them and praying for the needs they have we can be asking for God to intervene and where we can be speaking the words of Jesus words of hope and life to them to encourage people at this time So I think this is an amazing time for us to be the church, to advance God's kingdom, to be on mission. And at a time where people are needy, people have uh, needs, people need hope, this is a time for us to provide that for people. But this morning we're going to continue to talk about prayer, which I think is just so, so relevant. And I want to start with an illustration today. You might have heard this before in some form, but I'm going to use it a little bit differently today. A man walks past three builders. They're all doing exactly the same thing. They're all um, building together. And he asks each one of them, what are you doing? So he goes to the first guy, what are you doing? And he says very simply, I'm laying a brick. Okay, cool. Moves on to the next person. What are you doing? I'm building a wall. A little bit more exciting, but still not too much. And then he gets to the third person and he says, what are you doing? And this person responds and says, I am part of a construction team that are working together to build a great cathedral in the city for all men and women to be able to come and gather together and to meet with and worship the living God. Which one sounds the most interesting and exciting to you today? Which one of those three would you want to be? I think we learn a valuable lesson here. There's three people doing exactly the same thing right next to each other, but they all see their job in a different way. Who do you think was the most inspired and excited to build? That was number three, of course. Because the way you see something changes the way you go about it. The way you see something changes why and how you will do it. And I think that is so much relevance for us as prayers today. The way we see prayer will change why we pray, how we pray, and what we pray. And I want to use this template of the three builders just to help us to think about which kind of builder we are when it comes to prayer. Now let's talk about those three. The the first would be the one who's laying a brick, but I want to actually put someone else before that. And this is not a Christian type of prayer, but this is a type of prayer that a lot of people do. You won't find this in the Bible, but this is probably most people's type of prayer when they come to God, is they just come to him with a shopping list. God, would you meet this need? Would you provide this? Would you give me this? Would you meet this need? God, would you help me in this area? And they come to God with their list. Now, that's not what the Lord's prayer looks like. That's not what we see in the scriptures. Of course, we come to God with our needs, but prayer is so much more than that. So let's put that one aside. But uh, bricklayer number one, you know, are you that kind of prayer? Uh, When you're asked what you're doing when it comes to prayer, do you say, I'm laying a brick, I'm praying a prayer, which is absolutely fine. You know, over the last few weeks, we've been in Matthew chapter 6 looking at the Lord's Prayer. And there Jesus tells us how to pray. This is 
prayer 101, the mechanics of prayer, how to pray, what to pray. And I hope that that's gone into you and has helped you to understand prayer in itself. And if you've got that, that's amazing. I know so many people have learned the Lord's Prayer at school or in Sunday school, you know, church on Sundays. We can memorize and recite the Lord's Prayer and that is a real gift to us. But there's more to it than just knowing it. We've got to pray it and engage with God as we go through that. The second group, the second type are those who say, I'm building a wall. Now, this type of prayer is someone who knows the Lord's Prayer. They know the prayer basics, prayer 101, but they're more at the prayer 201 level. You know, this kind of prayer also knows what the New Testament and the Old Testament have to say. They understand something about God's bigger purposes in this world. And they know, you know, what a Christian is called to do, what the church is called to do. And they reason if the church is called to do these things, if I as a Christian am called to do these things, then surely that should change how I pray. So they pray in light of the mission of God. They pray that the gospel would be preached with power. People would respond. They pray for disciples to be made, for the kingdom of God to advance and for God to be glorified. You know, what they pray, why they pray, how they pray is all influenced by all of these things. You see, for these people, the, the wall builders, their prayer is not just around God meeting their needs. It's, it's not just going through the Lord's Prayer. No, they're praying more for the mission of God to be fulfilled, for God's kingdom to come and His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. These kind of prayers um, are crying out for things to happen out there. They're crying out for other people, other places, other needs, other realities. They're not just focused on themselves. They are interceding, intercessors, crying out for God to be involved in these situations and as they pray they push back darkness and advance the kingdom of light as they pray they they cry out that God would save the lost would heal the sick would bring justice to our society they cry out that eyes would be open to the truth of Jesus they cry out that God's kingdom would advance they're praying for laborers to be sent out into the harvest field as Jesus tells us to pray in Matthew chapter 9 You see, they know that prayer is work, that prayer is mission. And as they pray these prayers, they're joining God in the work that he's already doing all around us. They see prayer as powerful and significant and valuable work. And finally, we've got a third type of prayer. Let's call them the cathedral builders. Now, they've got prayer 101. They they understand the Lord's prayer. What's a prayer and how? The mechanics of prayer. They understand the mission of God. They're praying. They're wall-building people. But more than that, at the heart of their prayer is they, they know that at the heart of faith, the heart of prayer, the heart of life is God himself. That God is the most glorious person in the world and the universe in existence. And they know that God's great story, the story that we all find ourselves a part of, is a story of God's love for mankind and the world. So these cathedral building prayers, I know some of you are watching this today. We know passages like Romans 5 verse 8 that say, God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see that Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins to forgive us and bring us into relationship with God. Cathedral building prayers get this. They get not just that our sin was so significant that Jesus had to die for us, But even more than that, that God loved us so much that he was willing to die and suffer in our place for us. That God was willing to do this, that he could bring us into relationship with the King of Kings. And that he's made a way for us to know him through Jesus. It's amazing good news. So for cathedral building prayers like you and I, I hope, 
um, when we come to pray, we're not just praying the shopping list. We're not just praying out of duty and obedience. And those are good reasons to pray. Disciplined prayer, you know, I'm going to do this. And we're also not just praying as work or mission. You know, prayer is work. Prayer is war. Prayer is mission. Crying out for God's will to be done. But on top of that, for cathedral building prayers, prayer is tied to this great love story of God and mankind that we are a part of and to his great glory and his beauty. You know, God is the most worthy and glorious being in existence. And when we pray, actually we pray out of the knowledge of who he is and our love for him. And ultimately, this is what you and I were made for. We were made to know God and make him known. We get the privilege of doing this. St. Augustine, one of the early African church fathers, actually the person our daughter is named after, he wrote a few centuries back and said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. That's what we were made for. We were made to know God. And I want to ask you, do you know God like that? And has that loving relationship with him that the scriptures speak about, has that changed the way you pray, the reason you pray, why you pray? And has that been fuel for you as you pray? For some of us watching this today, this could be completely foreign to you. Maybe you know a little bit about prayer or you've joined us for the last few weeks. You know, I spoke about lamentation on the first Sunday of the year, spoken about the Lord's Prayer now. Maybe what I'm talking about, about knowing God and relationship with God and God's love is a bit foreign to you. And can I just say that was true for me a little bit ago. I've been actively involved in church life since I was 12 years old. And I sat in church a lot, you know, I went to Friday youth meetings, double Sundays, uh, I went to church conferences, church camps, all sorts of things. So I heard a lot of sermons, I read the Bible on my own, but when I was 18, I joined a new church, and in that church it felt like I was struck by this reality that I could know God and have a relationship with Him. I'm not saying this hadn't been preached before at the church I'd been part of. Maybe it had, maybe it hadn't. But it was like this revelation all of a sudden struck me. Grant, you can know the living God. You can have a relationship with God. God loves you and loves to be with you. And that I could come and close my door and get rid of distractions, and spend time alone with the living God, the creator of the heavens and earth, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. This idea, this truth that the Bible speaks about all over, about knowing God, changed my life. And as best as I can explain it, I fell in love with Jesus in knowing this, and he became the most important thing in my life. Now listen, as I speak about knowing God and relationship with God today, I realize words can be obstacles sometimes. Because when I say knowing and when I say relationship, different things could pop into your mind. So let me define this for a second. Because there's lots of different types of relationships. I'm sure, like me, a lot of you have followed the news uh, a lot over the last year. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of you have read up on the U.S. elections. I mean, the, the build-up to the elections uh, was pretty tumultuous. The January 6th storming of the Capitol was a crazy moment in the history of the U.S. And then seeing Joe Biden beat Donald Trump, uh, whether you support either of them or interested in either of them, that's not the point. It's just a very interesting moment in U.S. politics. And um, I, I definitely followed this a lot and read up a lot about Joe Biden. Now, I don't know Joe Biden, and even more significantly, I should say he definitely doesn't know me, 
but because of my reading, I know about him. I know facts about Joe Biden. So for instance, I know that his daughter-in-law is South African. So whether that's a good thing or not, I know that. I know a little bit about his wife. I know a little bit about his story and his family. I know a little bit about his policies. I've read up and I know facts about him. But I, I know about him. I don't know him. And I think a lot of people have that idea of what relationship with God is like. You know, knowing God is something like that. It's, it's God is important. God is famous. God is um, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's powerful and he's somewhere up there or out there doing really significant things. And we know about him. You know, hopefully today you're learning some facts about God. You, you know, you're learning from the scriptures about God. So we know facts about him. At Life Group we learn about him. On Sundays we do. We read the Bible. We read Christian books. And we learn about God. But for those people, we don't believe we have a relationship with God because he's too busy. He's got too much going on. We're not important enough. He's somewhere out there. We know about him and that's how things work. Can I just say that is not what the Bible teaches about relationship with God. Maybe secondly, I live in a building. Um, there's nine flats in our building. We're eight Somerset. Great building to be in. And we don't have that many neighbors. Honestly, one of the flats is empty. Some of the flats only have one person living in them. So we easily know all of our neighbors, all of their names. You know, we know what most of them do for a living. We know some of their stories, some of their interests, and they know a bit about us and our lives and our interests and what we do. And we've had meals with some of them. We, you know, we've had long conversations with some of them over the last year that we've lived here. But none of us are close. We, we haven't developed close relationships. So we live in close proximity. We live in the same building. We're close to one another, but we're not relationally that close. But at the same time, I know from experience, I've done this and others have done this, that if there was an emergency, if anyone needed help, they could just call or text and we would be there in a second. And I think a lot of people think that about our relationship with God. You know, God is nearby. We know a bit about him. He knows a bit about us. And if we ever have an emergency, we can just pray. We can go to God and cry out and he will help us in our time of need. But we don't think it's anything more than that. Well, the New Testament paints a different picture of relationship with God. And I love the language that God uses to describe his relationship with us and that he defines the kind of relationship he wants to have with you and I. Now, in the last few weeks, we've spoken from Matthew 6, Luke 11, the Lord's Prayer, about the fact that God defines himself as our heavenly father and calls us his sons and daughters, his children. And he shows us the kind of family relationship he wants to have with you and I. Well, I could talk about John chapter 15. Some of you will remember we were there last year. But in John 15, Jesus speaks and says, I no longer call you servants. Now I call you friends. And he's not talking about kind of distant acquaintances, Facebook friends, you know, where you've got tons of them and you don't really communicate at all. Jesus had 12, you know, maybe a few extra people who knew him, who he knew, who did life together, who spent a lot of time together. That's what he means there. When he talks about friends, he's talking about intimate relationship. And then thirdly, another picture that God uses to define our relationship with him is he calls the church the bride of Christ. You know, the person that Jesus is most passionate about, loves the most, is most intimate with, his bride, that is who you and I are described as in the Bible. And each of these pictures show an intimate, close relationship with him. And I think these should redefine the way we think about what it means to know God and how God wants to know you and I. 
And when we see these pictures, that you are a child of God, that you are a friend of God, that you are God's spouse, this starts to show us how much God wants to know you, changes how we see prayer, changes how we see Him, it changes what we think about what it means to be a Christian and the life we are called to live. This idea reframes everything about our life. But even more than that, what we see in the scriptures is that you and I were made, we were designed to know Him and make Him known, which is such a privilege. Let me explain that more. I'm sure you can think of transcendent moments in your life. Uh, that could be like a moment out in nature where you've gone on a hike, you've gone camping, you've watched a sunrise or a sunset and you've just thought, ah, this is so beautiful, this is so incredible and you're filled with a sense of awe and wonder. Or maybe you've watched a movie or a play or listened to music and it's just moved you. It's somehow deep inside of you where you've just been touched by the beauty of this and feel like there's more to life than this. Or maybe it's just a moment in life, an extraordinary moment you've experienced. Uh, I just think for myself, a year ago when my daughter August was born, um, it was surreal. Um, I, I remember saying to the doctor, I don't want to watch the birth. You know, I, I probably will get a bit queasy. I don't want my blood sugar to drop. I don't want to faint. But the anesthetist said to me as Shell was having the Caesar, uh, okay, it's time to look. And I looked thinking August had been delivered. But as I looked over the curtain, her head was starting to pop out of Shell's stomach. And I watched her whole head and face emerge. I saw my daughter being born and coming out and raising her arms and starting to cry. And my hand instantly just went over my mouth. I was in awe. It was the most beautiful, transcendent, surreal moment of my life. And I was thanking God and just overwhelmed by what I was experiencing. These are extraordinary moments. They're not everyday things. We, we don't get to experience this often. But when we do, there's just a sense of beauty and joy and delight and awe and wonder, which shows us that there's more to life than this. It gives us the sense of thank you inside. And for those who don't know God, who are we thanking in those moments? Where do we give that gratitude to? But almost in the extraordinary, we see that there's more to life. There's something beyond this life that we want to connect with. We want more of. C.S. Lewis, the famous English writer and thinker, said, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Sadhu Sandar Singh wrote, Just as thirst implies water, and water is intended to remove thirst, so the existence of desire in the soul implies the existence of true happiness and peace. When the soul finds him who planted within it that desire, it receives far greater satisfaction than the thirsty man does from water, and the satisfaction of the soul's desire we call heaven. C.S. Lewis again, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. You and I were made to know God intimately. You were designed and created to know him and to make him known. And in his presence, as we come to be with him, there is a deep sense of satisfaction and joy and meaning and refreshing that nothing else in this life can and is designed to give us. I thought what I'd do is I'd read a few scriptures that show this truth. That, I mean, they're everywhere, but Psalms is the prayer book of the Bible. And I've just picked a bunch of Psalms that I want to read over you. If you want to close your eyes and just take them in, you can. But these reveal the truth of the intimacy of God that we are, are all invited into. 
Psalm 34 verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 73. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 16. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 63 verse 1, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And Psalm 84, this is verse 1 and 2, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And verse 10, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I don't know if you've experienced these realities in prayer before, but the book of Psalms and elsewhere in the scriptures, we see that this is ours to know and experience and enjoy. And Psalms makes it so clear this is available to you and to I. And that prayer is not just asking God for our needs to be met. It's not just dutiful, obedient, praying prayer is a good thing to do. It's also not just the interceding for others prayer, the, the mission prayer, the, the work prayer that we've spoken about. But here we see the type of prayer that is coming to know and enjoy and be with God, to be filled with delight in His presence, to be satisfied and refreshed by coming and being with Him. And what we see here is that you and I were made to know and enjoy Jesus. You were made for this. And that is at the heart of why we pray, not just for the sake of praying and doing something that's good, but for the sake of being with God. So how do we come and be with God? Very simply, we do it through Jesus. You see, we, we don't come to be with God through being good or sacrificing and, doing, and not doing things we want to do to make God happy. We don't do it through trying to be good enough to feel worthy to come into God's presence. We don't do this through enough fasting or church attendance or giving to the poor or whatever good deeds you might have in mind. All of those are good things to do, but they don't bring us into God's presence. Only Jesus does. And we see this in John 14. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through good deeds. No, that's not what it says. Except through sacrifice. Doesn't say that either. Except through lots of fasting, lots of giving to the poor. No, it doesn't say that. It says no one comes to the Father except through me. Ephesians 3 verse 12. In him, in Jesus, and through faith in him, we may approach God with fear and trembling because he's the king of kings and he is awesome in power and might. No, that's not what it says. No, we may approach God with insecurity and uncertainty because of our imperfection and sinfulness, because we know we aren't who we should be. We know we're not perfect like Jesus. We, we know we fail to live up to God's standards in holy ways. Now, it doesn't say that either. It says we may approach God with freedom and confidence, like a little child comes to their dad. I think Brian said it last week. Child just runs and leaps into their father's arms. They don't pray formally. They just speak words. You know, Dad, will you come and swim with me? Dad, can you play with me? Dad, will you feed me? 
our confidence before God isn't based on the good things we do. And it's not disqualified based on the bad things we do or the things we shouldn't do. It's not based on our spiritual maturity or spiritual health. It's not based on how good a Christian you've been this week. It's not based on your sexuality or theology or political or cultural or social views. It's all by grace and it's all through Jesus. And this morning, the offer to know him and enjoy him stands open to all of us to be with God, to have a relationship with God, to know God, not through our own work and effort, but through Jesus, through his life through his death on the cross, through the gift that he gives to us. He's done it all and he's made a way for us to know God. And I want to say to those of you who started watching this today and would have said, I'm not a Christian. Actually, today you can become a Christian. You know, if that word is baggage for you, that's fine. But you can come through Jesus to know the Father in heaven. Actually, you can have your sins forgiven. You can have everything that stands in the way in your mind or heart from you knowing God. Jesus can move that away so that you can come to know the Father and experience the joy that's found in His presence. And to those of us who are Christians already, who maybe have been following God for a while, and maybe either this truth isn't something you know, kind of like for me, it took me a while to learn this. Or maybe you've gotten distracted from just the love relationship we're called into with God. Actually today, I think the Father is calling us to Himself and saying, I want to know you and I want to be with you. So why don't you come and be with Him and enjoy Him today?